0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Becoming Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Kamone Smith, and I'm glad to have you tuned in with me. This podcast is about uplifting and encouraging positive thoughts, positive actions, and positive plans. We're going to talk about relationships and family, entrepreneurship, and whatever your side hustle may be, and of course, the power of faith, the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. Are you ready to be empowered? Today we're going to talk about what's your story, acknowledging your history, your family your culture, your upbringing, your life experiences, tragedy and trauma, and everything in between. It's important to define your story because in defining your story, we learn that our past does not dictate our future. And when we define this desired story, we develop a realistic way to incorporate our desired story into our children's lives, our family's fabric, so that our children can be aware. See, when you grow up seeing certain behaviors regularly, this becomes normal. So when I say what's your story? And I know you're probably thinking, what what does this have to do with relationships? Duh. A lot of our past experiences, sometimes it just happens again. It just pops up and it's when we least expect it. It's you know, it's when we think I can't believe this happened. Why? And, and everything, we can't control everything that's going to happen, but we can be prepared and we can prepare our children. So when we say it takes a village to raise a child, to save a child, you better believe it's going to take all of us, all of you, to be a light to a child that shines so bright that men, women, and children are compelled to change to be better, to transform, and to do better. Until we take a proactive stance in creating our ideal, our desired stories of what we want our lives to look like. The truth is, we can relive horrific events we can continue the cycle of abuse and violence drugs and alcohol and this can be life-sucking breathtaking very dark and bitter Acknowledging trauma is the first step. The first step to healing. And that can be tough. A lot of us, a lot of people have unresolved emotions related to childhood trauma. And as adults... Sometimes they enable the cycle to continue into adulthood. Now, when I say unresolved emotions, I'm 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 speaking particularly about anger, sadness, shame, fear, um, being vulnerable. Um, and and feeling helpless. Now, now I can't tell you about what you've gone through, but I can share a brief testimony. So I'm thirty years old and um. college educated. I'm I'm currently pursuing a PhD in social policy. And um, I didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Um, It's been years. It's been, it's been sleepless nights. Um, Countless reflection, you know, of where I am, where I want to be where I've come from and um you know growing up I was molested I was molested before I could I could speak um I was a child who did not know about sex I had no clue I was clueless that I was being taken advantage of and um this continued up until I was about nine or 10 years old um, and and having been, you know, molested at such a young age, you know, by the time I was nine, I was raped. I was raped by a family friend, you know, a couple of days before my, my 10th birthday to be exact. And um, I remember being so afraid to tell my mom because the person said that if I told my mom, she wouldn't believe me and um, she'll be upset and then she would beat me. And it's funny because to some degree, you know, the person, the person was right. And um, I still told my mom, I told my mom, she didn't believe me, she did yell, scream and I did get a beating. Um, And at that point in my life, I knew what was happening to me prior to being raped was wrong. That, that was my first time knowing that something was wrong because I had never been penetrated before. And um, for years, for years my mom and I, we had problems. I would run away, I would stay out late. And um, you know, by the time I was about 11 or 12, you know, my mom made up her mind um, to sign me over to the state um, to to get a PINS warrant on me. I think it stands for Person in Need of Supervision. Yeah. So, you know, I was I was frequent at the at the Brooklyn. The, I think it's called the Kings County Family Court. And um, like everyone knew me there. You know, I was always in trouble um, because I ran away and, um, I began having trouble with, um, authority. Um, you know, I had trust issues. I didn't necessarily trust men, you know, or authority figures to be, you know, to be, whew, I didn't even know I could do this. Damn. Um, but that was a trying time in my life, and that went on for a few years. You know, um, I was arrested. I was locked up as a kid for about two years. Um, and I didn't deserve to be locked up as a kid, honestly. Um, I, was, I was 12 when I started high school, and um, this happened in my second year um, at Tilden. Um, I got to school late. Um, I, I was so late that when I walked in, the teacher told me I couldn't, I couldn't enter the classroom because they were taking the test. And so he tried to close the door, but my hand was caught in it. And um, my hand ended up getting smashed in the doorway. And um, this is at Samuel J. Tilden High School in Flatbush, um, Brooklyn, New York. And one of the deans, he's like, oh, you again follow me so of course you know I'm the type of kid that's always getting arrested in school out of school fighting whatnot and so I calmly you know follow him he tells me I have to sit you know in the in the dean's office in Mr. Pierre's office until second period and so you know I have to explain and I didn't do anything wrong you know he tells me it's okay you know just have a seat in the dean's office until the second period. The second period bell rang and um, when I got up to leave he came back into the room and he told me to sit down. I couldn't go anywhere. Um, at that time um, Mr. Pierre who was the assistant principal walks in and he's like oh Miss Smith what's what's going on and um, this teacher you know continues with, oh, she was late and, you know, I guess I was arguing with my teacher, which was a lie. And he changed his whole demeanor and, and, mis- and he said that I had to stay there. And when Mr. Pierre left the room, this teacher was so close to me that I can smell his breath. You know, I was 13 years old and in the, thir- and in the 10th grade and um, I freaked out. I freaked out because in my head I saw it coming and in my head all I could think was not again, this is not going to happen to me again, not Camon Smith. And I freaked out. I couldn't control myself because I thought I was protecting myself. And and I fought him, I hit him with, I I, I fought him with my hands. I pushed the table, the, the, you know, those large executive desks. I pushed him up against the wall. And I just couldn't stop hitting him. And when Mr. Pierre walked in, all he saw was me hitting him. And I was arrested that day. Um, I'm 13 years old. I was arrested that day. No one wanted to hear my side of the story. And the teacher left in the ambulance. And I left with the police and um, it's funny because um, that same day at the precinct I was assaulted by the police officers as well and so you know when I went to court and I told the judge uh, and at that time I knew the judge well. Um, her name was Paula J. Hepner. I think she's now the head um, judge of family Court in New York. I told her what had happened. you know it wasn't my fault. And um, yeah, that was a really tough time in my life. and it took it took years. it took years for me to bounce back. Um, and so that particular incident, you know, led to me being locked up for almost two years as a kid. Um, of course the teacher, he did drop the charges. Um, he did drop it, but it didn't, it didn't change what he did and it definitely didn't change the outcome of this particular situation I have not allowed you know these experiences to define me you know I've used it as a motivating force to move forward in my life to know what it is I will stand for and what it is I will not stand for and I'm not perfect I'm not perfect I'd be lying if I told you I was, but I'm sharing this with you because I strongly believe in sharing stories because in sharing stories and acknowledging the trauma in which we've experienced in our lives, that is how we move forward. So I have a seven-year-old daughter, since she's been able to talk, my daughter knows No one changes your pamper. When she was potty trained, she knows she goes to the bathroom by herself. She knows no one picks her up. She's a big girl. She knew no one kisses her or touches her inappropriately. And and those are things that I've instilled in my daughter the moment she could talk. Because I wanted to protect her. And I understand, you know, I'm not going to be with her at all times. You know, she's in school majority of the time. But I can still prepare her because even as, as young as seven, you know, I remember being seven. I remember like it was yesterday and I knew I knew right from wrong. And, um. And everything I do, I try to just think back when I was that child and what I felt and what I was thinking and I try you know I try my best to share that you know with my daughter because I want her to be able to make good decisions. I want her to not be afraid I want her to be able to express herself. And I want her to know that she can always trust her mother. So you don't have to tell me what traumatic experiences you've had in your life. I want you to just think about it. And um, what exactly how exactly you can utilize these experiences to help the younger generation, you know, in your family, whether it be your children, your nieces or nephews and little cousins. How are you going to utilize your personal experiences? How are you going to impart knowledge so that they can become better adults? They don't have to be sucked into the cycle, the various cycles that exist when people go through traumatic experiences. Welcome back to the Becoming Empowered Podcast. As you know, I'm your host, Kamone Smith, and I'm glad to have you with me. So today we have a guest. Her name is Mystery. Mystery, say hey. Hey. So Mystery is going to talk to us about the ins and outs of nightlife in terms of stripping. Now, I know some of you might feel like Oh my god but that's okay because becoming empowered is about the real the nitty gritty and getting up and close and personal and telling that story so mystery Yeah. what are you about to do what's what's on your agenda for the rest of the night
1: well I'm about to go to work and I'm gonna make some money
0: so when you say you're gonna go to work what exactly do you have to do and And is there any drama problems or any, you know, particular trauma related to this?
1: You asked a lot of questions. You got to go one at a time. What was the first one? Okay, you're right.
0: You're right. So I'm going to assume that, you know, maybe you wanted to be included on the podcast because, you know, you've listened um, to the previous episodes. And, you know, the last episode was about acknowledging trauma And, you know, I spoke about my personal experiences with trauma and, you know, how I have not allowed that to define me. Um, And when when I say trauma, I'm specifically talking about molestation and even rape and, you know, my ins and outs um, with the NYPD in my juvenile years. So when you think of acknowledging trauma, have you been through any form of trauma and, and is that? Has that affected your life, um, even in terms of work?
1: Um, Yeah, I was dancing. Well, I've been dancing for 10 years now. And um, when I say I go to work and nobody mess with me, nobody mess with me. I'm like one of the respected dancers. So um, I got into an altercation with um, three young ladies. They jumped on me when I was dancing because I made more money than them that night. They just started at the club and... I made more money than them and they was intimidated and jealous and so they jumped on me. So that was like a real trauma in my life because all them years I was dancing, never got into a nobody, never got into a fight or nothing. And these two rookies came in and thought they was going, to you know, run shit. So that traumatized me a little bit and made me slightly thinking about stopping.
0: Wow. So like, you know, when you go to work, do you still see these do you see still see the the females
1: um i see one um the other two one of them quit and then another one she um work at another club so i don't see her
0: wow wow so like even looking back at this i'm like well damn like i'm a little shocked i'm a little shocked but then again i mean I guess realistically, it, maybe that's the part, it's something that comes with the lifestyle?
1: No, not really, because like I said, I've been dancing for all these years and never had no problem. Like, I'm one of the respected dancers wherever I dance. And so everybody know me and respect me. And those these two, like I said, they're rookies. They knew, so they don't know no better, and they felt like they could try me.
0: So if you could give words of encouragement to a female interested and possibly exploring um, exotic dancing. What what advice would you give them? Don't do it. Save your sanity.
1: Um, it's not worth it. I know it's fast money and it's like a lot of drama behind it. It's not for everybody, so... Try another route before you go that route. Make that be the last resort. Wow. Interesting.
0: Interesting, but real. So. So, so Mystery, um, I'm curious to know, have you ever... Um, dealt with molestation or rape or just feeling as if
1: you know you were unsafe um, at all yeah um, I dealt with that when I was 8 years old I got molested by my godmother brother um, then later on that was in Jamaica then I moved to New York and I got molested again by my auntie um best friend boyfriend I was babysitting and he came in the house and pretty much took what he thought was his and so yeah. I've been through that already.
0: How how have you dealt with it? Um do you would you say that those past experiences are resolved? Um
1: resolve.
0: When you when I say resolved, I yeah, mean it. <laughs> I mean do you think that you are over it? Have you have you dealt with it? Have you sought no, counseling? Have you moved on?
1: Um yeah, I moved on. Um, but I'm just more overprotective now of my kids. Like they don't really go to people places. I need to know if there's a man in the house, and you know I do more research before I let my kids go anywhere. So it don't affect me no more. But I'm just more careful than what my mom was.
0: Agreed. And I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. You know, as you know from listening to the podcast, I too have been a victim. And a part of me moving past the situation is me just being real, honest, and open about the people um who were around me as a child, you know, like one one thing that I've done is in my adulthood, I've gone to each and every one of them and I've told them exactly how I feel. Um, and, And that I felt as if it was their job to protect me and they didn't. And it's unfortunate sometimes when people have significant others and, you know, they choose to side with them and they don't believe it. It's really unfortunate. I'm so happy that you have taken an initiative to talk to your kids about it. Like, how have you brought this to your kids' attention so they can be aware and you can also, you know, protect them?
1: I haven't brought it to them I never well I, I told them but mm, I just let them I just told them what happened to be more aware and if anybody done it to you or and you don't like it or they try to tell you all oh, if you say anything to your mom I'm going to hurt all of y'all don't listen to them it's not going to happen over my dead body you know what I'm saying so yeah I just, like, tell them that to be aware. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't open up about it until I was 21. I used to cry myself to sleep at night every night until I was like, okay, it's over with now. I'm safe, you know? Yeah,
0: and when you did tell your mom, how did she react? She was like, who did it?
1: Tell me. I'm going to kill him. (laughs) She was so mad, but I'm like, it's partially your fault because you left me with anybody, everybody, Anybody that wanted to babysit, you know what I'm saying? So, you can't even be mad at nobody. Why would I tell you now so you get locked up? That's not my goal. Right. Agreed. So,
0: I know you're heading out. What's wrong? So, Mystery, I'm curious. Do you have any advice for rookies in the exotic dancing industries um do you have any words of wisdom to impart with these young ladies in terms of you know continuing your hustle making your money but also um ensuring the safety of yourself and you know when you leave out at night you know late your kids are also safe what 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 um advice do you have to rookies in the
1: industry um just do your research and don't just jump in and just thinking, you know, shit going to be sweet. You know, you got to do your research and make sure you're doing it right. And when you get the money, save it because this is fast money. It's not going to always be here. You have to save. You
0: heard it. You heard it from a veteran in the industry. Mystery says this is gig is not gonna last forever so it's imperative that you put that money up it's not gonna last forever make sure you putting it up um one last question before we go is there a particular investment or any strategies you have in terms of saving all the fast money that's
1: being made um i say invested um definitely invested um i don't have no investment plan or Like, do you do anything on on the side besides this? Oh, yeah, I do three different things. I own three different business, um, and my stripping money invested in it. I do sip and paint. I I own my own um, event planning. Oh, I make wigs. (laughs) I do a lot of stuff. I paint a lot of stuff. Anything that I could think of, I make it into a business, and I get paid from that. Well,
0: you heard it live coming to you directly on Becoming Empowered from Mystery right here in Chicago. Thanks again for tuning in. I can't wait to get back to you guys. Today is Martin Luther King's day, January 21st. And in memory of Martin Luther King, I've written a few words in which I'd like to share with you all. Let us have the courage to become the change we wish to see in the world, beginning with ourselves, our families, and our communities. Let's not shift any blame to others. Let's take responsibility and be held accountable for our actions and inactions to better ourselves, our family, and our community. Let us acknowledge that we may not have all the resources, but together we can accomplish many things. Martin Luther King is celebrated by many regardless of race. His gifts as a preacher, spiritual leader, civil rights activist, and his vision for one day, every boy, every girl, every man and woman will not be judged by color, but by contents of one's character. Let us take a moment and reflect. How can we transform ourselves, our families, and our communities using our gifts, whatever they may be? Let us be convicted to help our brothers, our children, our sisters to see beyond today's circumstances. Let us both acknowledge and celebrate our struggles as a people, as a nation, and move beyond them in victory. Standing in solidarity against the school to prison pipeline, mass incarceration, cyclical domestic violence, substance abuse, gun violence, and poverty. Let us celebrate a leader whose vision was grand and has come to fruition. Let us remember Martin Luther King and the many evangelicals that stood for change, who were compelled by faith, love, family, and God to be the change necessary to usher the civil rights movement. Let us now take the torch. Let us be the light in our homes, at work, in the hood, in school, in the community, and in everything we do. Sincerely.